Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7.99 y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters excluyen de los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com. In three, two, one. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., you are on the Hill. Tom Fitzgerald here with you this time on the Hill. We are joined by our guest. Dan Mohall is the ambassador of Ireland to the United States of America, and we are pleased and proud to welcome him on the Hill. How Thank are you, you Ambassador? It's, it's very good to be here. It, Always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, look forward to our conversation. It's a thrill to have you on the podcast because we've had you on the television program a couple of times in conjunction with uh, St. Patrick's Day. As we were recording this uh, today, it is uh, St. Patrick's Day. And I, I kind of want to start there because the last four days, you've been, you've been on the road. You've traveled a lot the last couple of days. Where have you been? I started in Boston, uh, where we had one of our senior ministers there uh, doing some work with our state agencies, promoting uh, investment into Ireland, promoting Irish exports, promoting tourism into Ireland, and also generally encouraging the constructive and positive relationship that exists between Ireland and the United States across the board, both in terms of the history of Irish-American relations through immigration and through the contribution the Irish have made to America, but also in more recent decades through the economic relationship that's flowered with the flow of investment and trade between our two countries. Trade now exceeds $100 billion wow. a year. And given that Ireland's a country of 5 million, that's an extraordinary figure. And then investment is also uh, very strong um, in, in both directions. There are now... 150,000 people in Ireland working for 750 U.S. companies. And remarkably, there are 100,000-plus um, Americans mm. who work for Irish companies all across the 50 U.S. states. And in fact, Ireland, with 5 million people, is up there in the top 10 of foreign investors in the United States, which is a remarkable fact and one that I was happy to highlight uh, uh, this week. You've got a story to tell. We have. And then, yeah. of course... Um, I was back here uh, on Wednesday and uh, Thursday with our uh, Taoiseach Prime Minister, Leo Varadkar, mm -hmm. his second visit uh, to the United States for St. Patrick's Day. A remarkable couple of days. We had a session with the uh, Chamber of Commerce, uh, with Tom Donoghue there, and with the various companies that are investing in Ireland, with Irish companies that are investing in the United States. So we were encouraging the two-way relationship to thrive and prosper in the future. And then we had, of course, the Ireland Funds Dinner, which is a big highlight of the year, where uh, the Ireland Funds um, paid tribute to and honoured uh, four, uh, four outstanding women, Irish and Irish-American women, for the contribution they've made. Because this is a year when we're trying to focus on the achievements of Irish women because it's the 100th anniversary of the first Irish uh, parliament which had elected a woman for the first time and we had a woman cabinet minister in 1919 believe it or not so this year we're trying to uh, tell the story of the uh, the emergence of Irish women over the last century to, to, to a point now where they play a major role across our society in all walks of life. Ireland Funds is, is an amazing organization I've had opportunity to do some events with them as well too. Uh, John F. Kennedy had a role 
uh, in that when he he was alive. And it, it's one of the examples in this worth where sometimes people struggle to figure out how to solve problems. And the Ireland Funds is a great example on how you can solve problems if, if you can get enough people to find their commonality and their common interest in solving it and in, in a way I think if more people could pay attention to the way the Ireland Fund does things we could maybe address some problems in this world in a much more effective and concrete way. Yes, the Ireland Funds were set up about 40 years ago um, and the aim of their establishment was to provide Irish Americans with a constructive way in which they could contribute to the development of Ireland and in particular to resolving the problems in Northern Ireland, the conflict between the two communities in Northern Ireland, which uh, was so tragic and took so many lives during the 70s, 80s and 90s. And the fund played a, an important role in encouraging and supporting reconciliation projects both between North and South, but also within Northern Ireland to try and bring people together and to try to... Uh, highlight the fact that uh, in Ireland we have lots in common uh, regardless of political differences and that we can and can and should work together across community, across religious lines for the betterment of our societies north and south and also for the development of positive relations between Ireland and our nearest neighbour in Britain. So we are 20 years now past the Good Friday Agreement? Correct. Which is held? It's held, yes. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of work to be done still because... Uh, we don't have uh, a reconciled society, I would say, in Northern Ireland. There hasn't been any violence for 20 years, um, but tensions are still there, and they can run high at times. And sadly, for the last two years, there hasn't been a government in Northern Ireland which is provided for under the Good Friday Agreement. And that's a, that's a, that, that's a worry, because the longer it goes on... Well, there is a. Well, I yeah, mean, the Parliament's yeah, been elected, yeah. but uh, the members don't meet, so yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a not a good situation politically. So our government and the British government have tried a number of times over the last uh, couple of years to try and bring the parties back together again. But of course, Brexit has been a complicating factor mm -hmm. because again, Brexit introduces a, another form of division into Ireland, where already there are enough divisions to be getting on with and uh, to be trying to deal with, and Brexit just complicates the picture in Northern Ireland. So uncertainty remains uh, what the final form of Brexit will take, especially in regards to you know how Great Britain is going to proceed. And there were some setbacks this past week when the Prime Minister's uh, plan was once again rejected. Uh, she is in power, but it does not seem that she is wielding power at this point. What is the Irish position on, on Brexit, and how do you see yourself in this space between, let's say, Europe, United Kingdom, Ireland, and the United States? First of all, we didn't want Brexit to happen. Mm -hmm. We were very happy with the relationship we had with the UK. As fellow members of the European Union, it helped to place our differences in a, in a different context. And we made a lot of progress in British-Irish relations. Uh, I was in Britain as ambassador when our president came to Britain for the first time, an Irish president had paid a state visit in uh, 2014. And at that time, relations were really very positive. Then Brexit came along, and certainly it's caused complications, as we expected it would, for British-Irish relations, but also for the border in Ireland. Uh, this week, actually, uh, we would see it as a good week from an Irish point of view because the British Parliament ruled out a chaotic Brexit with no deal for the future. In other words, they said, we will not leave, the Parliament does not want Britain to leave unless we have a deal with the European Union to provide a framework for future relations. We want that to happen, 
Uh, now, uh, what we have to wait and see this week is whether the Parliament will now agree to Prime Minister May's deal and therefore Britain will leave sometime in June. They'll defer it by a couple of months. Or the alternative, she's made clear, is that she will defer Brexit for two years with a view to trying to find a solution. Mm -hmm. The problem is that the referendum in Britain uh, resolved that uh, Britain should leave the European Union, but it didn't resolve the nature of their departure. And there are so many different views about what kind of exit from the European Union Britain should make. And that's where the difficulty lies. And uh, there's simply no majority in Parliament at the moment uh, for any version of Brexit that is achievable. Because remember, Britain has to negotiate with the European Union and um, the current deal that's on the table, which has now been rejected twice by the British Parliament but will be put to them again uh, in the coming week, uh, is a compromise uh, between the European Union and the UK. But unfortunately, the compromise to date hasn't passed muster with the British Parliament. We would hope that um, uh, Britain will be able to do a deal for an orderly exit from the European Union because a... An exit without a deal would be chaotic and catastrophic for everyone concerned, but most particularly for the UK. When President Trump uh, met with the TIOX this week, he had said that he wanted to talk a lot about um, Brexit and get the Irish viewpoint of that. Um, there were an entire day worth of meetings here yes. in Washington, D.C., which is quite remarkable in the fact that I can't think of any other country nope that gets a day like yeah. we had here last yeah. Thursday where from morning through night yeah. um, one country becomes the central focus in this country is, uh, is is Ireland. I don't believe there is another country that has that particular opportunity. Uh, this is my second time doing it now. And it's an extraordinary phenomenon. I mean, let me just remind you, we started early morning with a breakfast with uh, Vice President Pence and members of his family and senior people from the administration and from Congress. We then moved to the White House for a meeting at the Oval Office, a private meeting first between the President and the Taoiseach, uh, and then um, a meeting with delegations, which I had the privilege of attending. We followed that up with a, a, a lunch on Capitol Hill hosted by Speaker Pelosi, but attended by the President, the Vice President, and some of the most senior members of Congress, especially those with Irish uh, connections. So I was at a remarkable table uh, with the President, uh, the Speaker, uh, Senator Leahy of Vermont, the most senior uh, member, or the longest serving member of the Senate, um, Richie Neal, who's the uh, Chairman of the Ways and Means Committee and the Chairman of the Friends of Ireland, Pete King was the co-chair on the Republican side of the Friends of Ireland. It was an extraordinary gathering, really, and uh, it was one that I think is a reflection of the affection in which Ireland is held here in America, especially by Irish Americans. But it goes beyond Irish America because I found wherever I've been that Ireland has admirers all across this country, Irish Americans and people with no Irish background. What's remarkable about it now is that the, the current state of Ireland blows away a lot of people's old assumptions about True. the country. There seems to True. be a new energy, a new Correct. mindset in, in your country. Uh, a lot of that is in the form of your Tiosh, your Prime Minister, yep. Leo Vadrikar. Yep. He had a breakfast with Vice President Pence yes. and um, brought his partner along. That's right. A lot of people took inspiration from, from that mm -hmm. meeting, and he has a very 
direct but yet effective way of going yeah. about telling his yeah. story to the world? Well, the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, is an extraordinary uh, person, really. I admire him hugely. Um, I've seen him now in action as a minister and as Taoiseach in the last couple of years. And he is he's 40 years of age. He's the son of an Indian immigrant into Ireland, a doctor who came and married an Irish nurse and settled in Ireland and uh, brought his family up uh, in Ireland. He's also openly gay. And he's not afraid to tell his story. But he also wants to listen to the views of others. So he, I believe, had a very good rapport with yeah. Vice President Pence. Last year, they met for the first time and things went very well. And in yeah. fact, Vice President Pence invited him to bring his partner along this yeah. time. And his partner, Matt Barrett, came to Washington and uh, did go to the breakfast and then went to the shamrock ceremony mm -hmm. in the afternoon as well. Uh, the Taoiseach is a very open individual. He has been honest about his own background. He sees, and I think most people in Ireland, see uh, the Taoiseach story as a kind of an illustration of mm -hmm. how Ireland has changed. Yeah. We've become a much more outward-looking, um, pluralistic society. When I grew up in Ireland, to be honest with you, we were a very homogenous society. There were hardly any foreigners in Ireland. You're from Waterford. I'm from Waterford, yeah. yes. I mean, my school, for example, I don't the only people I remember who were different from me were people who came from the neighbouring county <laughs> across the bridge uh, into Waterford. I was back there recently and this, I met the senior boys, about 150 boys, 22 different language groups represented in that class now today. So totally transformed from the time I was there. The fact is that today, one in six people living in Ireland was not born in our state. And that's an extraordinary figure and a total transformation. And it's gone very well in that people in Ireland appear to be quite happy and to celebrate our diversity rather than feel threatened by it. And the Taoiseach is keen, I think, to tell the story of modern Ireland. And his own story happens to, in many ways, represent and illustrate that story. And it's fascinating because I think it comes at a time in our country here where there is d this debate over what it is to be an American. Yes. That our immigration debate right now has become so heated on both sides that this idea of what is an American um, does have elements of that as well. But I think Ireland's a place where you can look and it, it shows you that you can be all types of different things and yes. still be Irish. Yes. That's the idea uh, yes. of America as well. I mean, too, obviously, we're having to adjust to this new yeah. situation. As um, are we. For example, um, you know, um, w abroad, outside of Ireland, people still think of Irish people as being like me, right. um, you know, um, um, ethnically Ireland from a family that's probably been right. in Ireland for centuries, um, white, um, Catholic, and so on. The reality of today's Ireland is that it's a much more diverse and complex place. And so mm -hmm. far, we've managed to navigate this complexity pretty pretty well I think in that we don't have any uh, right of centre anti-immigrant anti-European party in other words the Irish appear to have embraced mm -hmm. globalisation and taken it as a positive thing as a challenge but one that we can deal with rather than a threat that we'll be overwhelmed by which is their legacy in this country because the Irish literally had a hand in physically building what we now know as the United States of indeed, America indeed yeah. and I'm I'm always struck by that fact that when you read the history of the United States 
the Irish were not always as popular as they are today. <laughs> no, not at all. They my, were nativist my, movements my, here in the 1850s yeah. who wanted to send the Irish packing back to Ireland. Well, the Nita signs, thought, were, yeah, the signs were a real thing. I, I had heard directly from some of my own ancestors about seeing signs and windows that said Nina, which was no Irish need apply. Yeah. Uh, so I suppose the Irish story here in America is people who came in strife mm-hmm. and who became part of the heartbeat of America. And... I think that's one of the reasons why the Irish have been relaxed about the changing demography of our country because they have a folk memory of the way in which Irish people were badly treated in different parts of the world when they first arrived there. And they seem determined not to repeat those mistakes in Ireland today. And that's why I find that, uh, I remember um, uh, before I left Britain, I went to a sporting event, uh, a, a sort of a, a, an underage tournament where people, where mm. kids were playing Gaelic football, the Irish version of football. Yeah. And uh, which is a great sport, uh, by the way. Sport. If uh, anybody gets a chance to yeah, watch, hurling, hurling yeah. as well, uh, another great sport. But 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 the um, uh, the coach and referee that day was a man with a with an African uh, background, and I went over to talk to him and discovered. He was a graduate of my own school. So <laughs> here you have a kid with a, an African background, yeah. grew up in Waterford, Ireland, uh, learned to play our native games at a very high standard, is now teaching kids to play mm-hmm. Irish games in Coventry. Fancy that, eh? That's Fantastic. the kind of diversity that I like to celebrate as a reflection of modern Ireland. You've been a diplomat since 1978? Yes, I hate to talk say to it, me that's ab- true. Talk <laughs> to me about that. You've been posted, if I can go down the entire yeah. list here if we have time, uh, New Delhi, Brussels, Malaysia, Vienna, Germany, Great Britain. Uh, that's a lot of time on the road it away is, from yeah. home. Yes. Uh, look, What's that life like? It's, uh, it's a great life. It's a privilege to represent your country. I would never have been able to represent Ireland as sport. <laughs> or I wouldn't have qualified for the Eurovision Song Contest either. So right. really, uh, but diplomacy is an opportunity to represent your country, and it's a precious opportunity. The idea of being able to be the voice and the face of your country in another country is a great privilege, and especially in a place like the United States, where Ireland has such a, a positive profile and where people reach out warmly and embrace Ireland and embrace everything to do with Ireland in a way that impresses me because mm-hmm. I meet people who are four, five, six generations removed from Ireland mm-hmm. who still retain an affection for Ireland, an affiliation with Ireland and an affinity for Ireland. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge asset to a country like mine. Now, there are, of course, downsides to the life of a diplomat yeah. because you live abroad means you live abroad. Mm-hmm. You're away from family. I mean, our, we, we left our children behind us uh, in Europe in, uh, when they were 17 and 19, and since that time, we've never lived in the same place. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that, that's something that, that's a loss. I mean, uh, both of my parents um, uh, passed away when I was on uh, assignment, and I didn't get to see them before they died. I had to come back for their funerals. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there are definitely downsides, but overall, I think it's a very good life because it, it, it forces you to be open-minded. You have to arrive in a new country with an open mind and a blank sheet and fill that sheet in over four or five years that you're assigned to that country. That's what I'm doing in America at the moment. I mean, of course, like all Irish people, I, I know a bit about America. You know, yeah. you can't avoid knowing about America. But what you have to do is to, to try to have a curiosity. And I think the biggest, the two biggest qualities for diplomats are curiosity mm-hmm. and flexibility. In other words, curiosity, why are things like that here? And mm-hmm. how does it differ? And why does it differ? And what's the reason for this, that, and the other thing? Mm-hmm. 
and flexibility to be willing to go with the flow and not to say, well, only the way I do things mm -hmm. is the right way. Everything else is wrong. You have to be willing to see the good in other people and to see the, see the advantages of the way other people organize their societies. And I can tell you, as an Irish-American, one of the things that um, I value about your time here as an ambassador is that I think you have brought a fuller picture to Americans of what it not only means to be Irish, but what Irish culture is. Because up until, I would say, the last couple of years, pretty much we had St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. And people may have known you too. Yeah. But the broader picture and yeah. the depth of the Irish experience was really lost on a lot of people. Uh, the last couple of years, I think, we've really broadened that yeah. out. We talk about trade. We talk sure. about Brexit. We, we, we talk about uh, Ireland as, as a microcosm more than just sure. uh, this maybe stereotypical idea of what the country is. One of the ways you've done that, uh, which I have become a huge fan of, is your Twitter feed. Yes. Your ability and your you know, love of Irish poetry and Irish literature. Yep. Uh, how, talk, walk me through that, because at the first glance, you kind of read, you started reading these things, you said, oh, well, that's nice. But as you go through, how do you pick them? Some of them, when you read them, they stick with you for the rest yeah. of the day. And, yeah. and I'll tell you, sometimes you can't get them out of your head. <laughs> well, that's what, I, that, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. When I started in 1978, diplomacy was a kind of a semi-secret activity. It was like a cabal where most of the work was done in private, talking to uh, foreign ministries in the country we were accredited to. Mm -hmm. Your public profile was, was very limited. I mean, my first ambassador in New Delhi in the 1980s, mm -hmm. I was with him for three years. He was a very good ambassador, excellent man, very intelligent, uh, sharp, wrote wonderful reports. Mm -hmm. I don't recall him giving a public speech anywhere, ever, yeah. because that was not what ambassadors did. Now, that's all changed. We've become much more spokespeople and salesmen mm -hmm. and promoters of our country. And that suits me because I was a press officer. I was a press spokesman for years before I, um, well, I was within the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, but I was given the press function for mm -hmm. eight years in Brussels and in Dublin. And I developed this kind of understanding of how right. the media works. So when I discovered social media, I, I just said, oh, this is an advantage for us, whereas other people might have thought it was a threat mm -hmm. to our, 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 our traditional methods. I see Twitter as doing the same work, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. And I believe that one of the things we have to do is to connect Ireland more comprehensively. So I try to reflect modern Ireland, our economy, our two-way economic links with the United States, our culture, and you're quite correct. In the past, um, the image of Ireland was the quiet man image. Yeah. And I always say yeah. to people, yes, the quiet man Ireland is still there. You can go to the west of Ireland, you can see those beautiful quiet man scenes. The mentality of the people has changed for three reasons, right? The first is the educational revolution. That now means that the Irish are among the best educated people in the world. 60% of our school leavers go on to third level education. Isn't that some figure? Way above yeah. the average for the OECD. Secondly, membership of the European Union, which has given us a wider stage on which to play, which is why we're so devoted to EU membership, why we're staying in the EU come what may. And thirdly, the impact of US investment in Ireland. 
all of those jobs created by the 750 US companies who are investing in Ireland. And then the spin-off, because most of our indigenous companies are companies that spun off from American multinationals and are now becoming multinational companies themselves. Talk about trade, I don't want to, I don't want you to get away without talking about what's going on with Irish whiskey right yeah. now. Because it's uh, pretty remarkable. The Irish whiskey industry, five million bottles of Irish whiskey will be bought around the world this week. Correct. Of, uh, St. Patrick's Day is great for the whiskey industry. <laughs> but it's not just this week. What's going on yeah, right now, true. Ambassador, is truly um, pretty remarkable. Ireland's on a tear with Irish whiskey. Yeah. And it's, it's grown exponentially. Well, our economy overall has been the fastest growing economy in the European Union for the past five years. The figures came out last week for 2018, 6.5% growth. And that's for a country yeah. that's already highly developed. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a level of, uh, of economic growth that's really quite exceptional. Most of that has to do with technology, with exports of high quality goods and services, pharmaceuticals, IT products, and so forth. Financial service is more and more important now, mm -hmm. especially with Brexit, where a lot of companies yeah. are looking to come to Ireland to provide a base for them within the European Union. Bank of America, for example, has yeah. just moved its headquarters, its European headquarters to Dublin from London. So um, the whiskey story is part of that story. And remember, the overall export, the overall trade between uh, the US and Ireland uh, last year was in excess of $100 billion. Huge, yeah. huge trade. The whiskey industry is one that, do you know that in the in 1900, um, Irish whiskey was the biggest selling whiskey in the world and the biggest selling whiskey in the United States. It lost its leadership of that market during the 20th century for various reasons. Prohibition here in the United States. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. That, that was part of it. Uh, now, in the last 10 years, there's been a, an extraordinary renaissance in the Irish whiskey industry. And today, whiskey sales exports to the US from Ireland are going up by between 10 and 15% per annum. That's right? amazing. It's an extraordinary growth because Americans, I think, find Irish whiskey smoother and uh, more drinkable than other uh, forms of whiskey. It's less sharp and so on. It's more appealing to, to, to American taste. So the, the demand for Irish whiskey is rising all the time. And, that, and that's reflected in the fact that today, 10 years ago, there were four Irish distilleries. Today there are 23, and there are more to come. And, and it's great because unlike financial services, say, which is essentially yeah. an urban phenomenon, it's in Dublin, Cork, Limerick, Galway, you know, uh, the distilleries tend to be in rural areas. So yeah. they're creating jobs and prosperity in rural Ireland, which is a wonderful thing to do because that helps to balance our economy more. Most of those new distilleries have visitor centers. So yeah. not only tourist whiskey yeah. increasing sales around the world, particularly in the United States, um, where now half of all the whiskey produced in Ireland mm -hmm. is exported to the United States. But, but quite apart from that, you now have a chance for American tourists to visit Ireland and to visit various distilleries and see how the product's made. So, and by the way, last year, two million Americans went to Ireland, record number. And that's another reason why the question you asked me earlier about U.S. perceptions of Ireland. Mm -hmm. That's another reason why those perceptions have changed. Because in the past, Americans, Irish Americans, maybe visited Ireland once 
during their lifetime. Mm -hmm. Usually when they were retired and they'd save enough money to go across and visit yeah. the old country. Now there are 22 cities in America yeah. connected directly with Ireland. And the airfares have come down. So I'm all the time now meeting younger Irish Americans and younger Americans who've been to Ireland and who go back again and again and who therefore understand the dynamics of modern Ireland. I have friends whose uh, children got married last summer in Ireland. I come across that all the time. Yeah. People tell me, oh, we had our family wedding there or I'm, I'm planning a wedding. Can you get some, make, give me some recommendations about where yeah. we might go? So, so that's transformed the Irish-American perception of Ireland and it's part of my job to not to sort of tell Irish Americans that their their view of Ireland is is old-fashioned and out of date or whatever it's to nudge them forward to encourage them to take an interest in modern Ireland and by the way I in no way want to to undervalue the sentimental attachment that Irish Americans have to Ireland that's hugely valuable mm -hmm. but I'm trying to extend and expand that understanding of Ireland to include a more complex understanding of the contemporary realities of the diverse multicultural Ireland we have today, mm -hmm. which is illustrated in particular by the story, the life story mm -hmm. of our Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, whom I was proud to accompany um, this week to mm -hmm. his meetings in Washington and also to Chicago, where the two of us were there to see the Chicago River turn <laughs> a bright color green. It was really amazing. We saw some of the pictures of that trip uh, over the last couple yeah, of days in a uh, remarkable turnout. And I think it shows not only um, people's, uh, you know, not only their goodwill uh, for the Irish, but it's an opportunity for people to come together. And ultimately, if we're going to solve problems in this world, that's what needs to happen. And if we could uh, do it these last couple of days with people rallying around Ireland and, uh, you know, using St. Patrick's Day as maybe a focal point of these celebrations, that's a good thing. I keep going back to this picture um, of you sitting next to the president uh, with the Tiash and the Speaker of the House. And all of you, all of you are just... Look, mired in conversation, Indeed, arms yeah, are yeah. waving, smiles we are. We had broad. a very good conversation, and, it, uh, and it was a very, it was a very happy day for me. We need to see more ambassador. of that in this world. Indeed, indeed. Dan Mulhall is the uh, ambassador to the United States from Ireland. He was kind enough to join us on the Hill this time. That'll do it for this time. You've been listening to the On the Hill podcast coming to you from the Fox Five Studios in Washington D.C. I'm Tom Fitzgerald. We'll see you next time. Volvieron. Los McNugget Buddies are back at McDonald's. Y ahora tienen un nuevo look, diseñado por el streetwear designer Kerwin Frost. Cada buddy tiene su propio vibe, pero cuando el squad está completo, se ven fire. Complete your buddy squad ordenando the Kerwin Frost box. Cada caja incluye un buddy, tu elección de una Big Mac o unos 10-piece chicken McNuggets, papitas medianas y un refresco mediano. Disponible desde el 11 de diciembre. Para pa pa pa. En McDonald's participantes por tiempo limitado hasta agotar existencias.